Sunday back in church. First sign of a bit warmer weather. Anyone else peeling like me? <laughs> I just have to look out the window and turn red. <laughs> well, I do have a PowerPoint as well. Does anyone like to dress up? I was When I was writing this, I, like I often do when I write something, I think afterwards, is this what I'm supposed to be speaking today? And, and from Matt and Jackie and other things this morning, I think that this is what I'm supposed to be speaking today. So I hope you enjoy it. But does anyone like to dress up? Anybody? I have a little niece and she loves to dress up. That's her. <laughs> so for her birthday, I bought her a little doll, and I made it a matching. I made her a matching dress to the doll's dress, and matching pajamas. And she just loves to dress up. Anytime there's a hat or a headband, she will put it on her head, and she'll she'll dress up in anything she can dress up in. Maybe the children here like to dress up for book week. Do you like to dress up for book week? I'm sure all of us used to when we were at school. Maybe even a costume party, when someone throws a party and you dress up in a costume. Or maybe when you wear a particular outfit, you feel happy. Or maybe proud that so many people are complimenting you for what you're wearing. Perhaps if you do your hair like this, or you wear your team's colours, maybe you feel for a moment that you're a bit different maybe more accepted, maybe more popular. Maybe you fit in just that bit better. You stand out a bit less. The attention from you is deflected, perhaps. We all have things that we do to help us fit in in different social or other situations. Things designed to change what we don't like about ourselves to make us feel what we define as more normal or more acceptable. Now, I know there's lots of kids here today because it's the school holidays. Maybe you like to dress up as your favourite heroes. Who did you dress up as for book week last year? These are mine. I've got Cruella Deville, Evie and Belle. Who else did you dress up with as for book week? Maybe it's your favourite team. What's your favourite team to support? Is it the crows? Is it the power? I know we went to the cricket on New Year's Eve and as we're walking there in this crowd of people, everybody's wearing blue for the strikers. Every now and again I'd spot someone in an orange T-shirt. They were going for the other team. And I'd notice them because they stood out. They were different. Everyone's wearing blue and, oh, there's someone from the other team. They looked different because their colours were different. Well... Today, I'd like to read you a story, and it's about a little girl called Amy, and the book is called Can Brown Eyes Be Made Blue? I've put the pictures on the screen, for those of you who like pictures. It's, called, it's about Amy Carmichael, and the book says, Can Brown Eyes Be Made Blue? Amy Carmichael lived in a big, tall house by the ocean with her father, her mother and her brother Norman and her little brother Ernest. Amy and her brothers would often get into mischief together. Amy liked to think up new and exciting games to play. But what Amy really longed for was an adventure. 
One day, Amy wanted to sail out to sea. It would be so exciting, she thought. Come on, she yelled at her mischievous brothers. Let's find a rowing boat. When they arrived at the beach, they were hot and out of breath. It didn't take them long before they found a little boat tied up on the sand. Soon they were off. Hooray, hooray, Amy squealed. We're going on a real adventure now. They enjoyed it at first. It was very exciting indeed. But when they got tired and wanted to go home, the strong winds and the choppy waves meant that they couldn't turn the boat around. They kept sailing further and further out to sea. What were they going to do? Amy had an idea. Let's sing as loudly as possible, she said. A sailor on the shore heard her and came to the rescue. Amy's mother gave them a telling off when they got home. Sailing out to sea is highly dangerous, she said. Amy decided not to play that game anymore. One day, Amy and her brothers climbed onto the house roof. It would be a great place to see the ocean from, Amy thought, and it was. But they got stuck. And when Amy's father saw them, he got the fright of his life. He ran upstairs and pulled his children back through the bathroom window. Amy's father told her that climbing roofs was a highly dangerous game. Amy decided not to play that game anymore. Another day, Amy was told that eating plum stones would make her ill. I wonder if that's really true, she thought. So she sat down and ate 12 plum stones. Amy felt very, very sick. Her parents told her that eating plum stones was a highly dangerous and terribly silly thing to do. Amy decided not to play that game anymore. One morning, Amy lifted up her looking glass. She saw her long, dark hair and her soft brown eyes, but her face was sad. Brown eyes are boring, Amy grumbled. She went downstairs and watched her mother make breakfast. Why did God give me brown eyes and not blue, Amy wondered. I'd look pretty if I had blue eyes, she sighed. What a strange thing to say, laughed her mother. I think your eyes are beautiful, Amy. Afterwards, when her mother was clearing away the dishes, Amy asked, God answers prayers, doesn't he? Yes, Amy, he does, replied her mother. He will answer my prayers, won't he? Amy asked. Yes, Amy, he will, her mother smiled. He will answer my prayers tonight. Amy jumped for joy and ran into the garden. Amy's mother looked puzzled. What is Amy up to now, she wondered. That night, Amy prayed to God. Please give me blue eyes. But the next morning, they were still brown. Why hasn't God answered my prayer, Amy cried. Amy's mother gave her a hug. God always answers prayers, she smiled. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes no, and sometimes wait. This time, God said no. But why, said Amy puzzled. I don't know, Amy, her mother replied, but maybe one day you will. Sometime later, 
Amy went on an adventure to India because she wanted to tell the people there about the love of Jesus. Very few people knew about the one true God. Some even sold their babies to temple priests. The priests did not look after those children, so Amy tried to rescue them, as many as she could. Often, in the middle of the night, she would run off on a really big adventure to rescue babies and bring them home to live with her. One night, Amy crept up to the temple door and listened. A baby was crying. Quickly, Amy ran, picked up the baby and cuddled her. The baby looked up at Amy's soft brown eyes and smiled. Amy smiled back. I now know why God gave me brown eyes, Amy thought as she walked quickly home. Brown eyes are not scary for the little Indian babies. Blue eyes would be too strange for them. When God said no, he gave me just the right answer. You see, sometimes there are things that we have that we don't like about ourselves. And like the book says, sometimes God answers prayers with a yes, sometimes with a wait, and sometimes with a no. And often we don't know the reason why, but maybe someday we will understand. So I titled my message today, Dressing Up. Sometimes we can ask ourselves, are we dressing up to try and please God? Or does God have a dress code? Does God care what we wear? Well, as I've looked in the Bible on this topic, I've found some answers, but it may not be what you're expecting. You see, in today's world, our culture, our civilization, our beliefs, our customs, even our generation impacts what we wear physically. What Christians wore in the first century is vastly different to what they wore in the 10th, the 17th, and even the 21st century. The thing is, culture constantly changes, and the mistake that can often be made is that culture is the key to our faith. But rather, we must understand that a dynamic personal relationship with Christ is the key to our faith and our life. Every generation should give their very best to Christ, regardless of the culture that they live in. Think of this example. If you were invited to meet the Queen, or perhaps these days Prince Harry and Meghan, and you knew the date and the time that you were going to meet them, how would you dress? Would you scoop off something that's been on your bedroom floor for a week? Would you text on your phone while you're sitting in the room with them? Would you act bored? Would you yawn in front of them? I know I wouldn't do any of those things. So think of it this way. Does Christ deserve any less when we come before him? You see, today I'm not looking at this from a physical or cultural perspective, not even the clothes we wear. Today, I want to look at something more important than your clothing. I want to look at God's dress code. If we read from 1 Peter 5, verse 5 to 7, it says this, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
And in Proverbs 3, verse 34, he mocks proud mockers, but shows favour to the humble and oppressed. You see what the Bible says? He wants us clothed in humility. That is the dress code of God. Humility can often be described as the opposite of pride. While pride can be defined as the difference in who you are and who you think you are, humility can be a difficult word to define. You see, humility is not looking at the ground when someone talks to you. Neither is it remaining silent when you're given a chance to speak. Humility could be defined as the freedom from pride and arrogance. You see, if pride is in your heart, you are a slave to pride and you will be controlled by pride in your thoughts, in your words and in your actions. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 16 verse 18 that pride prevents submission. It says pride comes before a disaster and arrogance before a fall. The message interpretation says it differently. First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. But don't think that we're the first of of all the earth to encounter this problem of pride. Let's read today from Matthew 23, verse 1 to 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see here in the book of Matthew, we find the same issues that we may well face today. The holy men, the Pharisees, the legal experts of the law in the time, they knew the holy scripts and they knew the way to act. Yet we see Jesus noting here that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees were forceful in their preaching but unwilling to dress themselves in humility. It says they carried their phylacteries wide. The phylactery is a a small box, a leather box, and it contains Hebrew texts on vellum. And they wear them on their sleeve as a reminder to keep the law. So they were wearing them big and proudly. They wore their garments long so that people could see who they were. They loved the place of honour, the most important seats, They love to be greeted respectfully. Can we look at several quick points about the way that these Pharisees were dressing up? One is that the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they were wearing outer garments of devoutness 
but they were wearing inward garments of hypocritical spirits. The second thing they were wearing was an outward attire worn as a facade of obligation. And for example, they helped the needy, but inwardly they were unappreciative, ungrateful, ungracious, unmindful and unthankful. They wore a mask of piety, outwardly disguised well, but inwardly concealing a venomous pretense of self-righteousness, conceit and complacency. And they wore costumes of arrogance. They loved the place of honour. They loved to be greeted and called rabbi. But when we look at the end of this passage, verse 8 to 12, we see Jesus teaching us about how we as believers should act. It says, dress outwardly and inwardly with devoutness because we serve only one master, not ourselves. In 1 Timothy 4.7, it tells us to train ourselves to be godly. We need to dress ourselves in godliness and humility. Another point it says is to dress yourself outwardly and inwardly with obligation to Christ. To be thankful, appreciative, mindful of the needy, committed to Christ. The Bible tells us that his sheep follow him because they know his voice, not their own proud ideas. And it tells us to dress in humility. Our inward heart should be seeking humbleness, meekness and modesty. It says in Zephaniah 2 verse 3, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of anger of the Lord. You know it can be hard. It's sometimes so easy to put on a happy face rather than to let people see what's really going on. It's very hard for us to swallow our pride, to admit defeat, to show our inability, to show other people that we've lost control. But you see, Christ came for us and he cares about us. And the Bible tells us that God shows favour to the humble and oppressed. We just read that. In verse 12 of that passage, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I don't know about you, but as proud as I want to be sometimes, I need favour in my life today, every day, because I can't go through my life alone living on pride. I can't live each day under the burden of my cares and anxieties and I know I'm not alone in this. All of us have areas in our life that we dress up in. You know for me, and I'm being completely honest here, I've always been a very private person. I was a healthy young person with a husband and three children when one of the very things I took for granted was taken away from me. You see, I was okay, my life was good, when five years ago I was diagnosed with cancer. Being a private person, and let me say this, there's nothing wrong with being a private person, I'm very much still someone who likes my privacy, but often being a private person can be an easy facade for us to hide away from admitting that there's something wrong. You see, I had multiple surgeries. I had chemotherapy, radiotherapy, medications, 
And there were still many people who, when I saw them after a long time, knew that nothing was wrong. And I liked that. I liked that even though I had come through it all, that still people didn't know. That all changed when less than 11 months ago I was re-diagnosed with cancer the second time round. But this time it has spread into my bones and this is called metastasized. And the thing about having a metastatic cancer is that it's non-curable. And it got me thinking, how often have we tried to hide God's goodness in our lives? He had carried me through several years ago only for me to keep it quiet and put it behind me. Of course, I've spoken before about the fact that he carried me through all my treatments with minimal side effects, and I've given him the glory for that. But the more I look at it, the more it looks to me like pride. And sometimes I feel like God strips away the very things that we have to bring us to that point of humility, where we say, I'm sorry, Lord, but I'll trust in your plan and I'll give you the honourable place that you deserve in my life. You see, when all of your pride is stripped away, you become more dependent on the Lord. When you have nothing left, when you don't know if you'll live or you'll die, when you don't know if the treatments will work or not, then you have no other option than to become dependent on the Lord. I know in my own life, one of my favourite things to quote when I become overwhelmed with thoughts and fears is Luke 22, verse 42. It says, Not my will, but yours be done. Because I find that brings me to a place of humility. It's not me giving up, but more is reminding me that the struggles I go through are merely a part of this world that my eternity is in him and with him. Who am I to try and understand the ways of the Father, but rather I rest in the assurance that his will is best in my life. You see, now I live with metastatic cancer, but I'm not controlled by my cancer because my life is in his hands. I pray and I'm waiting on him for my miracle because that's all I can hope in. What I have is not curable. The only cure is a miracle from God. But by clothing myself in humility, I am saying your will be done, Lord. And if his answer is no, I will accept it. If it is wait, I will wait for it. And if it is yes, then I will tell of his great deeds because pride t will tell me that I'm well as a result of something I've done. But humility tells me that the only way I am well is through him and only him. You see, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 to 10 says, My grace is all that you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. You see, God wants us to put on humility. He wants us to come to him humbly. When we clothe ourselves in God's dress code of humility, he will lift us up in due time. It may not be our time, but it will be in his time, and it will be in the right time. 
You see, in the story I read about Amy Carmichael, when she was a little girl, she resented her dark eyes, her brown eyes, and she prayed that that would change. How many times have you cried out for something to change and you've had to wait for God's reply? Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's wait. And like Amy's mother so wisely noted, although God said no and we might not have the answer why, maybe someday you will know why. You see, as an adult, Amy travelled to India and became a very well-known missionary and she saved many babies and children from evil and led them to Christ. And those very eyes which she thought would look nicer a different colour were the very eyes which enabled her to rescue those children because they had a similarity in something that the children had. And if you ever get a chance to read Amy Carmichael's story, it's a very interesting story to read. I'd encourage you to do it. So many of us clothe ourselves in pride. We play dress-ups. We dress ourselves up in pride. We dress ourselves up in the attitude of, that doesn't bother me. I'm fine. It's all good. I don't need anyone in this world. Nothing you will say will hurt me. Nothing you can do will hurt me. I don't care if I'm sick. In fact, being sick is who I'm meant to be. And how many times have you read or seen a celebrity or someone famous who seemingly has it all together and you've seen the wheels fall off the cart and you think, but they look like they had it all. And you discover it was all a big dress up. That on the outside, it all looked okay. They had everything that we could want. But in fact, they were not okay. There was too much pride to allow them to seek help. And our pride can lead us to a point that we become so proud that we don't even want God's intervention in our life. But, Lord, if you provide everything that I need through other people, then they'll see that I'm struggling. Now, that's all right. I'll just keep on keeping on and eventually I'll get through it and no one else will know. Or maybe if, Lord, if you send someone to walk alongside of me, then they'll see that I haven't quite got it together and what if then I have to help them and, look, I think it's better if I just go through this alone. Or perhaps no one could try and understand what I'm going through because I'm the only one who feels like this. No one else has been through this. No one else feels the same as me. It's too hard to try and explain to people the way I feel. Or perhaps you've become so used to being sick that it's become your identity and you've become so proud that if God were to heal you, you wouldn't know who you were anymore. You see, that we all have things that we want to change in our life. Many of us have prayers we want answered. Some of our prayers will be answered with a yes, some with a wait, and some with a no. And it's not easy. The trials and the struggles we face in life, I've been there, I'm still there, but the trials we go through help to build our faith in God. In fact, James 1 verse 2 to 6 says, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is why we must clothe ourselves in humility, to be able to accept God's answer. The Bible tells us that God will exalt us in due time. Pride is when we exalt ourselves on our own timetable. But when we clothe ourselves in humility, when we dress in humility, we allow God to exalt us on his timetable. Pride thinks that we can figure everything out for ourselves, but humility is trusting in God's plan for you. You see, God wants you to put on humility. He wants you to cast off all your cares and anxieties, and he wants you to trust in God the Father. Why? Because he cares for us. And that's what we've got to understand. He wants us to dress in humility, to cast off our cares, cast off our anxieties, and to trust in him because he cares about us. You see, humility says, I'm not okay. It says I'm struggling, I need help, I need healing. And when we come humbly before the Lord, we wait on the Lord and he will give us his answer. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, and sometimes wait. Clothing ourselves in humility gives us the ability to accept God's answer and trust his plan and his timing for our lives. And you know, sometimes you will find out the reason why, but you know, many times you'll never find out the reason why but it's okay to not know why. Isaiah 55 verse 8 to 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I want to ask you a question today. What are you wearing? What are you dressing up in? Because you see, for Amy, it was her eyes. What is it for you? Is it your fear? Is it your anxieties? Is it your loneliness? Is it your sickness? For many of us, and I'd be tempted to say all of us, there is pride stopping us from discovering all that the Lord has for our lives. There is pride stopping us from dressing in God's dress code. There is pride stopping us from clothing ourselves in humility. And as we come to a close on this first get-together of the year, I'd like to give you the opportunity to stand up and say, I choose to clothe myself in God's dress code this year. From this point forward, I choose to put my pride aside and become more dependent on God and on his plan for our life. I choose to trust his plan and his answer for my prayers, even if I never understand the reason why. And if that's you, I'd like you to take this opportunity to stand right now in where you are. I want you to stand and say, I choose to wear humility from this point forward. I'm standing. I was the first one. I need more humility in my life. Who else is going to stand and say, Lord, I am becoming more dependent on you this year? You see, there is no shame in being lonely. 
There is no shame in having fear. There is no shame in anxiety. And there is no shame in sickness. We stand clothed in humility saying, Lord, I choose to put my faith in you and my trust in you from this moment forward.